And once again, we welcome you back to Moving Forward with Young Voices. I'm pleased to introduce you to Hannah Downey. And Hannah is with, uh, I, I call it Perk, because I, I got to hang out with Holly from Perk a couple of years in a row at, at FeeCon. But, uh, um, you know, per- Hannah, tell us, first of all, what does Perk stand for? Yeah, Perk is the Property and Environment Research Center. And and she joins us today from from Bozeman, Montana, and we're going to be talking about an issue here that's that's kind of unique to the West, and and that is we're going to talk about uh, uh, how President Biden should let tribal nations make their own decisions. Now, Holly, before or Hannah, rather, before we jump into that, tell us a little bit about who you are and and what you do. You are a Young Voices contributor, but but what else uh, takes up your your day to day activities? Yeah, well, first, thank you so much, Brian, for having me on the show today. I'm, I'm really excited to be here. As you mentioned, um, I'm a part of PERC, the Property and Environment Research Center. As you mentioned, we're based in Bozeman, Montana, um, and I'm the policy director there. So what PERC is, we are a conservation-oriented nonprofit group, and we do research on free market solutions to environmental problems. Uh, so in other words, we look at how can we do conservation without relying on more government and more regulation. So that's kind of our foundation at PERC. Um, and one of the issues that I focus on there that we're going to talk about today is how can we improve federal land management to reflect local on the ground needs? Boy, that's been a big issue out west uh, for for a long time. I mean, even as a kid, when I was growing up in, in southern Idaho, I remember, you know, the Sagebrush Rebellion and, and, and people talk about this. So this this is kind of an intergenerational sort of thing. Now, particularly, it was interesting when Donald Trump first took office, one of the first things he did was to undo something that Barack Obama did prior to leaving office, which was to declare the Bears Ears National Monument. And Trump uh, reduced the boundaries of that monument. I believe Joe Biden, upon taking the presidency, came in and is now working to restore the monument to its original size. Talk to me about in in, in that process from from clear back with President Obama through President Trump and now to President Biden, how much influence have the native tribes that are in that region had in in setting the policies over those lands? That's a great question. And I think it's to kind of the core of one of the greatest controversies over federal land management, and that's the lack of local input. Um, Throughout this process, as you mentioned, it's now spanned three administrations in just four short years. There's been a lot of movement on the national monuments issue space. And and in theory, kind of at its core, the purpose of the monument designation was to help preserve some of these tribal nations' sacred lands um, and these valuable landscapes to the local tribal communities there. The reality, however, has been that it's that those tribes have just been given an advisory rule. There has not been any actual true management authority granted. Um, And and that has become a a real problem when you're looking at what are the local interests and how does that translate to actual management? So as you mentioned, President Biden here has a unique opportunity to actually promote some of that local authority and empower those tribal nations uh, by granting our tribal partners some real authority over monument management. Well, it's it's always a touchy issue, you know, I mean, even under the best of circumstances. Yeah. But but sometimes I wonder if if the the tribal 
uh, considerations aren't uh, pushed to the back there. In other words, they always seem to be somewhat of a lesser consideration uh, compared to the people who are out there boldly, you know, making the decisions. And and even a lot of the people who I think ultimately end up protesting some of those decisions. We don't hear much about those native tribes. Uh, this th- I'm happy to see you shedding some light on this and happy to see that maybe maybe there is more of a place at the table for them. Yeah, thank you. That's that's kind of the goal with a lot of this is to try and elevate those voices. I know um, in Utah, the tribes have been um, a part of these conversations, but when it actually translates to the management, the day-to-day making decisions on the land, that is what has been lost. And so we've at PERC uh, kind of looked at two separate approaches or, or proposals on how we could actually engage our tribal partners more. Um, one of those approaches is is a trust approach, which is kind of similar to how a museum is run, where you're able to, the, the federal government maintains ownership of those lands, but a trust is actually set up to legally manage those antiquities and cultural sites. And in that capacity, you could bring on legal uh, leaders from the tribal nations to actually be involved in the real day-to-day management, doing things like charging fees or harnessing charitable contributions and potentially even becoming financially self-sufficient. Another approach is looking at rights to legal rights to manage the site. And that's something that we have seen. There's some precedent for this, but essentially this approach would grant tribes the legally binding ability or even exclusive rights to manage the antiquity sites within the monument. And those are the way that you can move some of our tribal partners out of just advisory roles and into direct management capacity. Is it likely this is going to uh, continue to be a hot button issue for, for more generations to come? I think so. I think so. As, as we've kind of talked about, one of the biggest core issues for federal land management is the difference between you have kind of management decisions being made by government offices in DC, and then what's actually happening on the ground and what the local stakeholders are seeing are are very different issues. And especially with the Antiquities Act, uh, which is the the statute that allows a president to unilaterally designate federal lands as a national monument. So they're the president, as we've seen with Obama, Trump, and now Biden, with a stroke of a pen, they're able to change how those lands are managed without any input from Congress um, or even like some advice from, from others. And so I do totally think that this will continue to be an issue until we look for ways to actually involve those stakeholders and to actually make lands management an issue that goes beyond just the stroke of the president's pen. You know, I, I look at... Uh... As a kid growing up, we would go and visit national monuments. Um, And I always assumed, because as a kid, you think, well, it's such a beautiful thing. I'm sure that, uh, you know, the people in this area were very grateful when that monument designation was made. And I'm talking places like Zion National Park and, you know, Bryce Canyon and so forth. But it, it seems like since I have been an adult... Anytime there is a designation of a, of a new national monument or, or some other, you know, uh, national site, there's, there's a tremendous amount of uh, concern and sometimes anger and, and, and political, uh, you know, power brokering back and forth. And I'm curious, has something changed, you know, since Teddy Roosevelt was, was using the Antiquities Act, you know, to, to set aside national parks? And if so, what has changed that's a great question. And I think one of the biggest elements there is 
is we're seeing some of these powers used at a much broader scale, right? There's there's the Yellowstone National Parks, the Zions that you mentioned, some of those kind of essential American iconic landscapes. And, and people, for the most part, are very supportive of those. It's then when you see, like with Bears Ears, for example, President Obama come in and designate 1.3 million acres as a national monument. That is a huge expanse of land. And what comes with these designations are um, can be restrictions on how that land is used, you know, concerns over, will I be able to drive my ATV there? Will I be able to collect firewood? Will I be able to recreate in the ways that I historically have? Will we be able to um, mine or uh, drill for oil? Those sorts of things for more natural resource extractive uses. Those questions come into play and we're seeing kind of an expanse of the scale at which these things are applied. So I think in my opinion, that's a big concern and has translated to more controversy. Hannah, what do you consider some of the most reliable resources for people who who want to better understand these issues? Where would you direct them? Well, Perk, where I work, is is certainly an expert on this issue. I work with some incredible people on this. So if you're interested in learning more about uh, public lands management or natural resource issues in the West from sort of a free market conservation perspective, uh, visit our website. It's just perc.org. Okay, again, we're talking with Hannah Downey. She is a contributor at Young Voices and also the policy director at Property and Environment Research Center in Bozeman. Um, Hannah, I appreciate you being on the program today. I hope you'll tell Holly that I said hi. You guys are doing great work. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Brian. Have a wonderful rest of your day. Thank you. Stay with us. We will continue with Moving Forward with Young Voices in just a few moments here on the Fed by Ravens Media Network. (laughs) 